So when I uh, started working on that paper, I, I first thought it might seem uh, paradoxical to discuss cosmopolitanism for a century that saw the uh, consolidation of uh, nation states and the rise of first liberal, then aggressive nationalism. Mm -hmm. Yet, as many papers have shown in this conference, uh, the two terms, cosmopolitanism and nationalism, are not uh, always radically antagonistic, and in certain circumstances, these two concepts can be complementary. Um, this is particularly the case in diasporic or exile situations, even more so maybe when those are chosen rather than imposed, as was the case for the British expatriates of Italy in the 19th century, a group to which Garrow and Zimmern belonged. Um, in fact, for the exiles of the Italian Risorgimento residing in England, Maurizio Isabella has coined the expression cosmopolitan patriotism. And um, it seems uh, also particularly apt to describe the ideals of the transnational liberal communities that embrace the long struggle for the liberation and unification of the peninsula, and whose values were formed and debated in cosmopolitan environments in various European capitals. In addition to sharing liberal and democratic ideals with the Italian patriots, the British supporters also felt they shared with them a common cultural citizenship, which they express in numerous collaborative intellectual endeavors. Now, if cosmopolitanism is an ideal and a set of attitudes, it is also a space where specific forms of cultural interactions unfold, a space that can be both real, a city, a salon, uh, or virtual books, periodicals. In the case that I'm going to develop here, the real cosmopolitan space was the city of Florence, which, uh, as the American author Kate Field noted at the time, second half of the 19th century, quote, was the garden of Italy's intellect, the hothouse to which many a northern genius has been transplanted. In this new Athens, many British writers and poets settled from the middle decades of the 19th century, whose names are familiar to us. Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning, Francis Trollope and their son Thomas Adolphus, more about them later, Walter Savage Landor, Francis Power Cope, Vernon Lee, occasionally Charles Dickens and George Eliot, and many others, and most of them engaged in a lively intellectual dialogue uh, with Italian culture, both past and contemporary. Apart from the many writings, a specific space where these intellectual and cultural interactions occurred were several English language periodicals and newspapers published in Florence. There were more than, more than half a dozen quality literary papers in the second half of the 19th century. And I want to focus on two of them. The Tuscan, is it working? The Tuscan Affinum edited by Theodosia Garrow Trollope in 1847-48, and the Florence and Italian Gazette, edited from 1890 to 1915 by Helen Zimmern. This is the only picture representing Zimmern, who had a very long life. I don't know why. It's not very flattering, but no photos. <laughs> So what I want to do 
uh, is to show how these journalistic enterprises created a specific cultural space while at the same time being part of a continuum in the work of these women as cultural go-betweens. Because I want to illustrate how as editors, journalists, writers and translators, these two women became major cultural go-betweens in their time and active members of various cosmopolitan cultural networks. Interestingly enough, although belonging to different generations, both women hail from similar cosmopolitan middle-class family backgrounds, and I think it's important to the story. Theodosia Garrow, later Trollope, and she married uh, Thomas Trollope, was born to a Jewish mother and an English father, himself the son of an Indian company merchant and an Indian high-class Brahmin. From this cultural mix, the multi-talented Theo, as she, Theo, as she was called, as Elizabeth Barrett Browning called her, inherited an interest for other cultures and a great facility with foreign languages. A magistrate father was also a gifted linguist who had translated Dante into English and who followed with interest Mazzini's struggle for the independence of Italy, two interests that he nurtured um, in his daughter. The Garros moved to Italy in 1844 and eventually settled in Florence, where young Theodosia, endowed with great intellectual gifts, still according to Kate Field, became a much appreciated addition to uh, the large British community in that city. She soon found herself under the protective wing uh, of the Trollops, another cosmopolitan writing family who, after an adventurous stint in the United States, had settled in the Tuscan capital. Both Francis, Fanny, uh, Anthony, the famous novelist, and Thomas Adolphus were prolific writers, but in different genres. Thomas was a historian who wrote no fewer than 60 volumes on the history and culture of Italy, mostly forgotten today, but apparently widely read at the time. If we are to believe Kate Field again, no other foreigners of the present day has done so much as Mr. Trollope to familiarize the Anglo-Saxon mind with the genius and aspirations of Italy. With the beginning of the late 1840s democratic revolution in Tuscany and other parts of Italy, Theodosia and Thomas Adolphus, already in love but not yet married, participated with enthusiasm to the movement and collaborated to various nationalist enterprises. They did not intend to be mere spectators of events. They identified strongly with the radical Mazzinian wing of the Risorgimento, and they wanted to interpret the movement for their countrymen and rally their support for the Tuscan Revolution. To that end, they took advantage of the abolition of censorship in the summer of 1847 to launch a weekly paper in English, the Tuscan Athenaeum. In the process, they got married just at the same time. So their weekly was clearly modeled on the, the London Athenaeum, to which both Theodosia Garrow and Thomas Trollope contributed pieces about uh, Italian politics and culture. But the two editors were also very close to two Italian liberal weeklies that started publication at the same time, that Patria and L'Alba. Even the format is interesting because you can see that all were inspired by the British press, which was the model um, at the time. 
So they collaborated with La Patria and Lalba, and they often exchanged articles. So the goal of the, the weekly was dual, to support the Nazinians in a spirit of sincere sympathy and respectful collaboration, wrote the, the state of the first uh, editorial, while informing their countrymen of the political and cultural vitality of contemporary Italy, of which they seem to know very little. For most Italian patriots, the dominant image of England at the time was that of a model of civil and political liberties, and the Trollops were determined to engage in a friendly dialogue uh, with the leaders of the democratic revolution in Italy, promoting their ideas and their writings in the columns of their newspaper. Theodosia was the linchpin of the enterprise, and she worked intensely in the months of the revolution, using her talent as a translator to familiarize the British readers with the most important patriotic authors. Indeed, because of the uh, censorship, many patriots expressed their ideas at in, in uh, literary forms, novels, plays, uh, uh, poetry. The um, previous year, 1846, Theodosia had translated a very famous uh, work at the time, um, Nicolini's, Patrick writer, Giovanni Battista Nicolini's Arnold of Brescia, a novel uh, about a reformer of the 12th, 13th century who rebelled against the church and got killed. So the innuendos were uh, quite uh, obvious. Uh, a novel that was uh, prohibited at the time, 1846, but widely circulated covertly in Florence and Italy. And uh, what was important, apart from the very good tr uh, translation, in her introduction, she had cleverly mediated um, the strong republican anti-clerical views of Nicolini to a British um, audience and obviously stated that with her translation not only did she intend to promote his uh, struggle but also to promote his uh, work as one of the most talented contemporary writer um, in Italy. So in addition to her, in the paper, in addition to her own, so the quality of the photos are not very good because I had to take them on the machine. <laughs> Uh, apart from her own political poems, which she signed with the Greek letter for the, the uh, um, she published in serialized form, so these are some of her poems, she published in uh, serialized form other works by, uh, translated by her, Nicolini's uh, Filippo Strozzi, Nicolini's Giovanni da Procida, uh, but she also translated and published uh, the work of the talented poet and satirist Giuseppe Giusti, the poets Giovanni Prati and Francesco de Longaro, all of whom resided in Florence at the time, although they were not Florentines originally, during the revolutionary months. They were frequent visitors at the Trollops and greatly admired um, Theodosius' work and her devotion to the um, Italian uh, codes. So the Tuscan Athenaeum was short-lived, a few, a few months, uh, as was the revolutionary movement at the time, but it helped establish Garo's reputation both in Italy and um, in, uh, as a mediator between Italy and uh, Great Britain. In the following years, she continued her work as a translator of Italian authors for the London Athenaeum, 
and as a journalist writing about Italy for several other British newspapers. With her husband, she was involved in the Mazzinian movement and their uh, home their, in Florence, the Bellino uh, Trollope, became an important cosmopolitan space that brought together the British and European liberal intelligentsia, either residents and visitors, and the Italian patriot intellectuals close to Mazzini. A reputation was such as both an expert on Italian culture and as a clever interpreter of Italian aspirations to a British audience that she was commissioned by the Athenum to cover the next and eventually successful phase of the Italian independence struggle. And later her um, articles were uh, collected in the book Social Aspects of the Italian Revolution that has been in print ever since. Cambridge University Press, sorry, Brooks. The best homage paid to um, a cosmopolitan outlook was expressed by the uh, Italian, the Florentines themselves, who put a plaque on the Bellino Trollope in other, uh, honor of Theodosia Garo Trollope, who wrote in English with an Italian spirit of freedom struggles and triumph. Although she also wrote for the London Athenaeum, Ellen Zimmer, probably never met Theodore Zagaro, who died in 1865. Like her, she was raised in a cosmopolitan family. She was born in Germany, the Jewish parents who moved to England when she was three. Her father was a merchant with liberal leanings, and her youngest sister, Ali, was the suffragist Alice um, Zimmer. Helen did not receive any serious formal education, but was widely read in several languages, German and English, of course, but also Italian and French. Determined to live by a pen, by necessity she had to live by a pen, <coughs> she started translating European authors into English and was introduced to the growing network of British women reviewers and journalists by Violet Patchett, alias Bernanie, of whom we've already heard, and this is a beautiful portrait of her by another Anglo-Florentine, uh, the painter uh, Sargent, who was born um, in Florence, and Bernanie greatly appreciated uh, Zimmer and the brilliant mind and linguistic skills. So Zimmer soon wrote for the most important magazines of the time, in particular the Athenaeum, participating both to the feminization of the staff and the uh, growing inter internationalizing of the magazine as its new owner wanted it to present its reader with a kaleidoscope of European culture, foreign countries. This international dimension was provided by the correspondence of British expatriates like uh, Trollope earlier and now Kate Field, uh, Lewis Chandler, both Americans, uh, Vernon Lee and Zimmer, whom we've already seen. By the time she settled in Florence in the um, mid-1880s, where Vernon Lee and Kate Field also resided, she was well established as a translator, writer and journalist. She had written a biography of Schopenhauer, had translated Nietzsche, with whom she had struck a lasting friendship, thus introducing two giants of German philosophy to English readers. She had also translated the work of the 18th century German playwright Lessing and was working on the translation of the plays of Carlo Goldoni, the Venetian playwright, while working for several uh, journalists. So while Theodor Zilgaro Trollope had been motivated by the cosmopolitan patriotism of the friends of the Italian Risorgimento, Zimmer was more interested in the cosmopolitan intellectual and cultural networks that were developing at the time in Europe. 
and of which she was becoming an important figure. She fitted easily in the highly cosmopolitan Florentine society of the end of the century, where numerous foreign art historians, artists, art collectors, and merchants flocked and worked hard with their Italian colleagues to redefine the identity of the city as the cradle of the Renaissance, interpreted as the foundation of Western civilization and a culture that belonged to all, regardless of their national identity. An experienced journalist, she also wrote for the Corriere della Sera, Zimmern soon decided to publish an English language weekly in the, and that's her again, well that's a list of a publication, um, the Florence and later Italian Gazette, successful endeavor since the weekly was published from September 1890 until May 1915. Her target audience was both the residing English-speaking community, 30,000, or nearly 13% of the total population at the end of the 19th century were British and English-speaking, British and Americans in Florence, and a growing number of tourists who flocked to Italy thanks to Mr. Cook's organized tours. Apart from addressing their practical needs, she intended to educate them both about life in contemporary Italy and the history and of the heart and culture of Florence. Using the latest scholarly studies, she wrote, she wrote articles about Italian art and sculpture accessible to well-educated but not special, specialist readership. I think I have some examples. I don't know. Again, not very good. So about the history, the culture, in so doing, she invited them to appropriate uh, this allegedly common culture of the Renaissance instead of limiting themselves to the what-to-see lists provided by Bedecker or similar tourist uh, guides. On the other hand, the Florence Gazette and its editor were active participants not only in the promotion of Renaissance Florence, and its, but also in its defense against various projects of modernization. In one of the early issues of the Florence Gazette, an editorial deploring the destruction of Florence warned its readers about the dangers brought about by a modernization trend inspired by Baron Osman, who had already struck in Paris. Indeed, since 1865, a movement of urban renewal um, had already led to the destruction of the old city walls and the replacement of medieval uh, streets and squares by broad boulevards and Irene Piazza, just a stone throw from Giotto's Campanile. In the 1890s, further and more radical transformation was planned with the destruction of the historic areas of medieval and Renaissance streets and buildings leading to the Arno and the Piazza della Signoria. The Florence Gazette expressed the growing concerns of many foreigners and Italians and soon became the mouthpiece for the campaign mounted by prominent figures of the English colony in the Tuscan capital, such as the writer Vernon Lee or the art collector Herbert Horn, you might have visited his palace in Florence, to defend the historic center against the threatened destructions. Not only did it report the activities that also have very good photos of the, uh, of the Association for the Defense of Old Florence that brought together Italian and foreign conservationists, 
but it became an active participant in the campaign through its editor, Helen Zimmern, who brought her many talents to the coast. In addition to writing articles in a weekly, she multiplied informative conferences for the foreign visitors and mobilized her journalistic networks in England and Europe, thus contributing decisively to the victory of the campaign to save all the Florence of what was left of it in Rome. In this instance, the Florence Gazette proved to be a significant linchpin between uh, historic-minded Europeans and concerned Italians who all felt, as an article put it, that Florence, as an artistic city, belongs to the world. The rapid survey of the work of these two <laughs> journalists, editors, and translators shows how cosmopolitanism as an ideal can structure elite networks around political concerns in the case of Garrow and around cultural concerns in the case of Zimmern. It stresses the importance of translation in the circulation of values and ideas and in the construction of these cosmopolitan exchanges. And last but not least, it illustrates how foreign language periodicals represented an essential outlet to express these ideals and contributed to the development of a cosmopolitan imagined community to give a new twist to the expression coined by Benedict Anderson in reference to nationalism. Mm -hmm.